You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to another edition of uh, the Domecast, your weekly foray into all things state government and politics uh, brought to you by the News and Observer and uh, the Insider State Government News Service. I'm Pat Gannon of the Insider. Have a full slate of panelists with us today, including a special guest who you'll you'll hear from in our who happens to be a loyal listener. And we thank him for that. Um, You'll hear from him in our second segment. So it'll be a surprise. Um, We had a very busy week. Uh, uh, this this week in uh, the General Assembly at the Legislative Building when we wouldn't really expect to. It all had to do with uh, the redrawing of uh, some congressional districts to uh, um, comply with a court order. Um, got a little crazy. We were waiting all week to see if the U.S. Supreme Court would, would issue a stay um, that would have basically made this whole week's uh, action uh, moot, but that didn't happen. So we're sitting here now uh, with Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer, who's who's been kind of watching all of this happen and writing about it this week. So, Lynn, bring us up to speed on on where we are with this whole redistricting mess. Well, it was a frenzy, but the legislature met the court's deadline of approving new congressional districts today. Um, as a result, we have some uh, contingency plans uh, and districts that look some of which look uh, nothing like the districts uh, people voted in. In last time, so um, there were there was a lot of drama and uh, many meetings, and many that sounded uh, very much like court proceedings more than legislative debates. Legislators were very conscious that they were creating um, material for the court record, um, and you could tell by the questions the Democrats asked about a redistricting um, expert the GOP hired and questions about. When he was hired, when he started working on the maps, what criteria did he use? And Republicans responding, well, did you hire anybody? Did you use, develop any maps? Um, and the repeated um, uh, criteria by the uh, redistricting chairman of the seven criteria they used almost uh, to any question that the Democrats asked. So um, it was it made for some interesting uh if somewhat repetitive, uh, floor debates and committee debates. Uh, But now we have a a plan that will move on to the three-judge panel for review. And you you talked about the the kind of um, the, the proceedings and how they went on this week. There were court reporters in the in the committee oh, yes. rooms and and on the floors right. of the House that, and Senate, that's right? Exactly right. And that's highly unusual, at least from from what well, I know. Well, they usually do it for redistricting. Oh, do they? Um, yeah, uh, but it was um, it was so much more pronounced um, this time around that I than I had ever seen. They also uh, did roll call votes in all of the exactly. uh, committee meetings as exactly. well. Exactly. Exactly. So make sure the uh, the record is very clear. Right. The court proceeding very much uh, loomed large this week. So um, clearly there was a lot of um, uh, dissent from the Democrats on on these new maps. Could you kind of go into a little bit of what their main complaints were to the to a the process and b the outcome of the process? First, um, some objected to the criteria and some of the criteria were that these would be drawn without race as a consideration. The three-judge panel said that the 1st and 12th districts were 
racial, racial gerrymanders. So the response was, okay, we're going to draw districts that do not look at race. Democrats both questioned whether that was true and then said, well, if you don't consider race at all, then that's a violation of the uh, Federal Voting Rights Act. So there, that was a very um, specific strain of argument that I think they made sure to get on the record. And there's also a question about um, African Americans being able to elect the person of their choice. Um, the current 1st and 12th districts both have, I believe they both have majority African American uh, residents. Am I right about that? I think the first does and I the 12th is close. About 50% yeah, they're or both more. About 50%, yeah. right. Now they're both below 50% and one dramatically below. Uh, and uh, with that district, in the 12th district, the representative who uh, represents the 12th district now lives in Greensboro. The revised 12th is now entirely concentrated in Mecklenburg County. So there was some concern about, okay, we've redistricted somebody completely out of their district. You know, did you take her incumbency into account? And that was uh, uh, U.S. Representative Alma Adams. Adams. Exactly. So there were a lot of questions there. And there are Democrats who now say that there should have been an independent commission doing the redistricting because they say, well, is it fair that we have decided, or the, the Republicans have decided to create 10 three maps, 10 Republicans, three Democrats? Uh, is that right? And is that uh, an improper partisan gerrymander? Now, we know that Democrats for a long time, when they were in power, had the chance to adopt an independent redistricting commission and decided not to. Um, it seems that always the party uh, who is not in power is really desperate for the independent redistricting commission. And, uh, you know, that's politics. So tell me if this makes sense. The court, uh, the three judge panel ruled that the first and 12th were racial gerrymanders and that they packed too many African-Americans into those districts and and, And, in doing so ensured that there were more white people and more Republicans in surrounding districts. Exactly. So now the Republicans are saying that we're not going to look at race at all as a factor when we draw these new maps. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and that has caught the Democrats and and some of the Mm African-American legislature saying, listen, you might, you might break the law doing that as well if you don't look at race at all, because we need the ability to elect the person of our choice somewhere. Their argument was, okay, the court said you made this the predominant considerations, the prime consideration. You've gone too far in creating these new apps to say it's not considered at all. They're saying race has to be considered, but may if it's not, even if it's not the predominant consideration. All right. Yeah. It, it was a, a very complicated scene at the uh, General Assembly this week. Thanks, Lynn. And Thanks. we'll be back for our second segment uh, in just a moment. We all want to be recognized because sometimes we want our voices heard. And we want to recognize you when you come to make your voice heard at the voting booth. This election, you'll be asked to show a photo ID at the polls. And if for some reason you can't get one, no worries. You'll still be able to vote. Just come to the polls and we'll help you cast your ballot. This election, be recognized. 
because every voice matters. For information or help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov. And we're back here on the Domecast with our second segment. I'm Pat Gannon from The Insider, your host today. Um, with me here is Craig Jarvis from the News and Observer and our special guest, a loyal Domecast listener, Josh Lawson, uh, the former communications uh, director, I guess, at, at the State Board of Elections, now general counsel at the State Board of Elections. Um, he's with us today. Um, we're going to talk now about the kind of the other aspect of this week's events on Jones Street. Uh, Craig, um, so aside from the redrawing of the districts, what else happened? Yeah, it, it, more was required than just making new maps. There were congressional district elections planned for, uh, for March 15th. And uh, uh, the upshot of that was um, that had to be dealt with in some way, had to be addressed in some way. And listening to Kim Strack, the executive director of the Board of Elections, talk to the House committee, uh, it was staggering how complicated that was. It was not a matter of just saying, well, let's just do it on May 3rd because there's going to be a runoff date on that date. It, it was very complicated. It, it took quite a bit of crafting. Uh, but I think what people, kind of people that might be listening that aren't so, so much insiders might want to know, Josh, is uh, you know how it affects them. Um, for example, uh, how do they find out what district they're in or not in? Was it just a matter of going to the Board of Elections, looking at a map there? Or? Well, the first thing that we want to make sure that everybody knows is that there is still a very important election on March 15th. In fact, uh, it, it's even more important now because mm -hmm. there's no second primary mm -hmm. across the state. So mm -hmm. the person with the most votes will win those nominations. So we want to make sure that people go and vote and vote their full ballot because Congress will still be on the ballot. The ballots have already been printed. They've already been coded. Uh, it'll still be there. So it's necessary that they continue to vote their full ballot. People are really going to have to go forward with two possible outcomes in mind. And we won't essentially know to the very end because the new bill gives up to the day before the election or of the election, I think. Yeah, for up to this, including March 15th. Yeah, sure. for, for the high court to either invalidate or bring a stop to things. Um, all right. What if somebody didn't register, is not registered yet? And I think today was the deadline. Yeah, the time today, we're recording yeah, here. Uh, yeah, um, at five Friday. It's, yeah. a, it's the deadline. But they will have another opportunity to register ahead of the congressional right, primary. Right, ahead of the June 7th primary. That's right. Um, okay. What if somebody voted as a Republican in the March primary? Can they vote as a Democrat in the June primary? They will have to change their party affiliation if they are party affiliated. But if you're unaffiliated, mm -hmm. uh, yes, you will be able to vote in different primaries. That was part of the logistical kind of cas cascading mm -hmm. impacts uh, mm -hmm. that were having to be reconciled in this new bill. Because mm -hmm. if you had paired the congressional race with the runoff contest in all non-congressional races, you would not have been able to change party. You would have been locked in, and that would have mm -hmm. created a difficulty for us as mm -hmm. election administrators. In terms of how this plays out now, the, the, the House and the Senate have both approved the bill, which has to go to the governor. In terms of legally, what, what the, 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 the General Assembly or the state has to now present the map in some kind of a response or something to the federal court. That's right. Attorneys for the state will submit to the three-judge federal panel mm -hmm. for approval the mm -hmm. plan as proposed. Mm -hmm. uh, they will look at it, review it. There may be a hearing on it. Uh, you will likely see folks arguing that these either do or don't comport with the Voting Rights Act, especially since you mm -hmm. have this new non-consideration of race, right. uh, which is a little bit novel. Mm -hmm. uh, but but you'll still be seeing that in the news over the coming week. Right. And on top of that, we have uh, uh, the legislative districts at issue in yet another three-judge panel case, as well as what we've been waiting on all week, and I think most of us thought would have happened by now, is some word from the uh, United States Supreme Court about the validity of the lower court's stay and... Uh, 
in ruling. That's right. So That's right. Uh, a lot of uncertainty. Covington's proceeding uh, mm-hmm. as scheduled and will be on trial in, in April. Mm-hmm. Um, but very similar situation, different mm-hmm. legal arguments, but affecting the state legislative races. How much did, did the Board of Elections have to work with you folks to come up with these alternatives? I know they, as I understand it, they really looked at a lot of different, different. you know, there were a lot of ramifications that cut different ways for, for where to, when to hold this, this congressional primary. Yeah, for a while there, we were looking at kind of the specter of a possible five elections mm-hmm. over the course of less than nine months. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, especially because counties pay for most of the variable costs associated with hosting an election, that was going to be tremendously difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, we did work intensely through the last 48 hours or so uh, to try to make sure that legislative staff as well as leadership were aware of all the different moving pieces. Mm-hmm. And if you changed one thing, you're going to mm-hmm. affect another, perhaps unintentionally. Mm-hmm. We're glad that the final bill included, a, I'll call it a Caesar provision, a God provision, mm-hmm. <laughs> where the board can alter and amend uh, parts of, of election law uh, if mm-hmm. necessary in order to comply with federal law or make sure that all the moving pieces work right for that June 7th primary. Just because this is such a complex and unusual set of circumstances, I guess. That's that, right. That can, yeah. yeah. Um, Josh, I'll chime in here for a second. So what maps are current? This came up in a press conference after today's events. What maps are currently in place right now? If nothing else were to happen, what would you know, what what maps would we be vote or what districts would be we would we be voting on? Well, because ballots are already printed, you're still going to have the current congressional maps as they were enacted, uh, you know, in January. Right. On March 15th. Right. In effect, for the last couple of election cycles. That's right. If no court invalidated the panel or altered the order in any way, uh, we would have new congressional districts that would kick into effect and you would have filing starting the day after the primary. Uh, new folks wanting to file, folks that now have a shot in, in now redrawn districts. So if if no court invalidates the ones that were passed today, right. then those will be in place um for filing starting the day after March 15th primary and then June 7th will be the that's right the day for that that's right but it is so important that people vote their full ballot because if a court was to step in then this past election that it's been happening right we have like 22,000 ballots out there already those will be voted ballots the March 15th ballots will be voted so continue to vote <laughs> so if I'm Joe Smith in uh, Dare County um, right now, I could go on the, the State Board of Elections website and look up my voter registration. It'll tell me what districts I'm in for, you know, state Senate, state House, uh, Congress, et cetera. What happens when I mean, are you guys able to change that really quickly if and when that that decision comes down so people will know, you know, what district they're in? And who's going to be on their ballots? Process right now to, to start transitioning the state because there are 87 whole counties now. Uh, it looks very different than it did before, and it's much easier to code that election and to move the voters because you can take all the voters in a particular county now make them a new congressional district. Um, that process will be a little bit more difficult for 13 counties that are split up, uh, but we we believe that we're going to be impl- implementing that very quickly, and of course we'll be able to get the candidates uh, information about their district profile. Uh, quickly as well. Josh, is there anything else you'd like to uh, to let everybody know, given uh, a, this week's events? Head, so uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be here. We're, we're happy to have you. Um, well, that was uh, Josh Lawson and Craig Jarvis, and we'll be back with another segment where we'll talk about the political implications of what happened uh, this week at the legislature. We'll be right back. 
Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. And we're back on the Domecast with our third segment. This time we have Benjamin Brown from The Insider and Colin Camp. Colin Campbell. Of, <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Thanks, Ben. Of the News and Observer. Um, they're here to talk about the the political ramifications and implications of what happened this week with the uh, redistricting, uh, the new maps being drawn and approved, and we're still waiting on to see what the courts do. Um, but this could create quite a snowball effect with, you know, current uh, Congress people, current state senators and house members who may want to decide to run for congress in the new districts we'll start with colin uh give us a sense of what you're hearing in terms of who might run who might not run uh where they might run um Lots of speculation going on right now. Yeah, so the big wild card pretty much this whole week was uh, Congressman George Holding from the 13th District. He's here in Raleigh, represents a district that kind of extends northeast from Raleigh. His district is basically just picked up off the ground, taken two hours, three hours west of here, and dropped in an area between Statesville and uh, Greensboro. So it's an area he has nothing really to do with. Um, and a lot of his current territory goes now into the second district, which is represented by Renee Elmers. So uh, we finally heard from his folks just a couple hours ago here on Friday afternoon. Um, and his consultant tells me that holding plans to challenge Renee Elmers in the uh, second district primary if these uh, these drawings uh, map drawings hold, uh, which would be a huge, uh, sort of almost unprecedented, I would think, uh, situation where you have uh, two incumbents from the same party running in the same district uh, and and fighting off in the primary. Um, and I just heard from um, our uh, Washington correspondent's been in touch with the uh, Elmer's campaign. Um, they're calling it unprecedented as well. Uh, and, and the quote I've got here is, frankly, to want power that bad, it's an extremely aggressive move. Uh, this is the Elder, Elmer's campaign saying of holding. So uh, shots fired already uh, in that. Uh, I've also heard from the holding folks that they believe he's more conservative than Elmer's. Uh, this will be a brutal primary uh, if it goes forward like that. Um, and then that also leaves sort of a couple other wild cards out there. Who runs in the 13th district? Um, and a couple of names have been floated. I understand Senator Andrew Brock from Moxville, a Republican, uh, has said he'll consider running a lot of the new 13th overlaps with his Senate district. So he would be uh, likely for that. I've also heard names brought up like Representative Harry Warren, a lot of lawmakers from that part of the state, in part because they, under these rules, can still run in the March primary for their current seat. And only after June do they have to make a decision, or the June of primary, do they have to make a decision as to do you want to run for Congress or do you want to want run for uh, state legislature? And they would have to drop out of one or the other. So that opens up uh, a realm of possibilities for folks that are currently in the legislature and want a sort of a risk-free opportunity to see if they've got a shot at Congress. Same goes for the 12th district, which used to be the big I-85 snake, uh, Alma Adams of Greensboro, now well outside that district. So she may decide that she still wants to run because uh, it's technically her seat, uh, but she would have an uphill battle in the Charlotte area because she's from several hours away. Already a couple of folks have mentioned that they're uh, interested in that. Uh, Malcolm Graham, a former legislator from Charlotte, uh, I think I've heard. Uh, I hear Joel Ford say today that he was uh, interested in, in considering it. Um, a number of other names 
pop up. I mean, this would be a, a rare opportunity for Mecklenburg County to really have its own congressional representative. It's been a county like a lot of urban counties that's been split in a couple different directions for years. So if you're a, a power player on the Charlotte political scene, uh, this is something you're, you're going to be eyeing pretty closely. Uh, ben Brown uh, mm-hmm. from The Insider, have you heard? What, what are you hearing about who might run or not run? So, yeah, we started uh, combing the floors for certain names that um, had popped up in our inboxes. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Senator Andrew Brock. He said that, yeah, he was seriously looking at that. Um, and, he, and he said we. So uh, he was talking sort of in the context of his family and supporters. And he said that he's already gotten a lot of calls uh, of people telling him, yeah, you should go for this. He said that it wasn't even on his mind. He, he said he first heard about, you know, this push, you know, I should run for Congress back in um, 2002, which is when I think he joined the legislature, that it's always kind of been on his mind, but he didn't really have it in this, you know, present day context in his head until he saw the map. And he, he was actually saying that when someone handed him a copy of the district map, he thought it was kind of a gag. He was like, oh, God, that's perfect. It's, it's you know, it's this district that I love and, and, and that I know territorially. And so he said he's, he's seriously considering it. Um, and also uh, Representative uh, Hardister. Um, said that that he's he's mulling it. He's he's not necessarily all in, but he did say, you know, it's a big decision. I have to talk to my family and friends and supporters, just like Brock said. He I, I asked him, you know, like why, you know, why not stay in the General Assembly? Why Congress versus the GA? And he says, you know, he's served uh, a couple terms already, and he feels like he's gained experience and he's done problem solving for North Carolina, and now he's interested in pro- uh, doing problem solving on a national scale. So no decision yet. And of course, the, you know, what, what the court does could you know, completely change everything as we speak right now. But uh, uh, th- those are two names that are definitely in. And, and there are definitely others that we've gotten confirmation. Yeah, and from. I have to think that Brock, if he decides to take the plunge, is sort of best position because he covers multiple counties in that area. Someone like Hardister, like you mentioned, is very uh, a known quantity in the Greensboro area. Mm-hmm. But you get out west towards uh, Statesville, Iredell County, Davie County. Uh, he may not have nearly the name recognition that, that Brock does. So it'll be interesting to see if multiple legislators uh, take the plunge on that right. one. Yeah, kind of like the Elmer's uh, holding uh, district. There could be some very interesting primaries yeah. in other in other parts of the state and what, as well. If you're Elmer's, you are really, really not liking the situation because if the courts don't take action soon and either issue a stay or deny a stay, what's going to happen is she's going to have to go forward with the March 15th primary. She's got four different opponents in that primary, so she's got to sort of beat them off knowing that the possibility exists that she could still have to be uh, in the current second district um, for that. But at the same time, she's got to worry about holding on this potential uh, June primary. Um, she sort of gets a pass on these uh, current primary challengers under the way the maps are drawn. All four of them are actually drawn out of the second district. So uh, they're probably not going to run against her again unless they just want to go across the district lines, which they can legally do. Um, but they're certainly not as in a good position as they are now for the months that they've spent in the current footprint of the second district trying to unseat Elmer's. One other uh, current legislator I spoke to today was uh, Representative Susie Hamilton, State Representative Susie Hamilton of Wilmington, who said she would be interested in running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District, which is currently David Rouser's seat. He's a Republican. She's a Democrat. But she said she wants to uh, see how the numbers shake out in terms of uh, uh, the political makeup of the district before she makes up her mind. She said if it's still highly gerrymandered as it is right now, uh, towards a Republican, then she wouldn't run. But if she thinks a Democrat could win, then she might uh, challenge for that seat. Yeah, the interesting thing about these new districts is that they're not quite as heavily tilted towards the Republicans as the previous Republican districts, but they're still pretty heavily tilted towards the Republicans. So I think if you look at the data, most of these uh, seats, I think in uh, a couple years ago, went 
53 to 56% Romney, um, which means that, you know, it's feasible for a Democrat to maybe pull off an upset in those. And I think the most likely based on demographics and, and previous voting trends is actually the 13th district. So if, if you didn't have an incumbent Republican, you had a really good Democratic year, it's there's some possibility Democrats could pick up that seat, but it's still kind of a long shot because uh, those 10 Republican districts are still pretty darn Republican. Very interesting stuff. And I know everybody seated around this table is really excited about another filing period coming up. Um, anyway, we'll be back with uh, our most popular segment, Headliners of the Week, right after this. So you smash your thumb with a hammer. Ouch! You race to the hospital. And they ask, what medications are you taking? Thankfully, in your wallet is a list with your medications on it. Wife went to safemedication.com, downloaded the free template, and wow, that pink pill has a real name. To create your own medication list, visit safemedication.com or talk with your hospital pharmacist. Brought to you by the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. Welcome back to the Domecast, and now it's time for... Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. Our fourth and final segment on the Domecast. I'm Pat Gannon from The Insider, your host this week. Um, We have with us actually five folks who are going to nominate a headliner of the week, and we're going to start with... Uh, Benjamin Brown or the Insider. Ben, uh, who's your nominee? I'm going to go with a uh, General Assembly legend, uh, Denise Weeks, who is the House Principal Clerk. And word got out this week that she is going to be retiring, effective May 1st. Uh, She's been around for a long time. She started in the clerk's office in the late 1970s. She became the House Principal Clerk in 1993. And she has a great reputation with with both parties. Uh, They consider her even-handed. I think it was Larry Pittman on the floor saying he doesn't even know like where she stands politically. It's just she's been a, a very fair person to have in that role. And it's a very big role of responsibility. And so I'm going to say Denise Weeks. And actually, one, one more thing, uh, Skip Stam, who was the uh, House Speaker Pro Tem, nominated her for uh, uh, House Speaker, which House Speaker Tim Moore gaveled down quickly, but uh, jokingly, but Denise Weeks. We might get more done. Um, ben Brown takes Denise Weeks, who is retiring May 1st, I believe. May 1st. May 1st. First week of the uh, short session. Great timing. Like, get out of there right when it picks up. I have a feeling they're going to be training somebody, uh, you know, in those days leading up to the session. Anyway, uh, Colin Campbell, who's your headliner of the week? All right. I'm going with a person who uses the uh, pseudonym or uh, variation of his name is John B., uh, who's uh, running for president. He was mentioned in a Washington Post story with a sort of interesting local angle this week. The story was mainly about uh, how Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton have handled uh, paid speaking engagements uh, prior to their uh, runs for president. Uh, the takeaway being that Hillary was getting paid a lot for her speeches. She was getting very sort of uh, VIP treatment. Bush, not so much. Uh, and the example they cited was in 2014 when he came to uh, give a speech at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. He flies into RDU Airport. Uh, he's by himself. He's got no entourage at all. Um, and a guy uh, is holding a sign that says John B., which, of course, his full name is John E. Bush. Um, 
is there holding a sign to drive him to, to UNC. So it's this image of this sort of uh, almost like misnamed nobody coming in, but really it's, you know, Florida Governor Jeb Bush only a year or so out from his run for president. Uh, and, and so because of that, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, John B., uh, the obscure presidential candidate as a headline of the week. I have a feeling this will be the only time John B. gets nominated. <laughs> uh, that was Colin. Now we're uh, skipping over to uh, Lynn Bonner from the News and Observer. Lynn, who is your uh, headliner of the week? I'm going to pick Tom Hoffler, who is a national GOP redistricting guru, mentioned many, many times uh, over the past couple of days by Democrats who really wanted to know uh, what his role was in in making district maps. He loomed um, large in these in these hearings and for debate even though he never appeared. Uh, so I'm going to uh, to nominate Mr. Hoffler for headliner of the week. Lynn Bonner suggests the guy who, the mysterious guy who behind the scenes draws the maps and who the Democrats want to see and, and interview, but the Republicans won't let him. Uh, what's his name? What's his first name again? Tom. It's Tom. Tom Hoffler uh, is Lynn Bonner's choice. Uh, Craig Jarvis, um, our fourth nominee, who will that be? Well, uh, in keeping with the main topic of the day and also in memoriam, uh, Justice Antonin Scalia, I'm sorry, uh, passed away. And he, of course, not only had a profound influence in the country, but to localize this, he was kind of an ace in the hole, perhaps, for a Republican strategy that the maps might be upheld if the issue went to the full Supreme Court, uh, where there would have been a five to four split in favor of Republicans. It's now four to four. And of course, we don't know that it's going to go that way far but uh certainly he was his death was uh was a factor that that that, it's not only shocking but uh, it was a factor that uh, was considered in this process craig goes with the uh recently departed justice scalia um we're seeing a lot of connection to the redistricting from this week and our headliners of the week and i think we might hear another one from josh lawson who's our special guest um, this week, the general counsel from the Board of Elections. Josh, who, who are you going to nominate? Yeah, at the risk of sounding completely election-centric, I think I would go with three-judge panel, so collectively. And and I think Ann Blythe wrote a little bit about how a three-judge panel yesterday notified us that they are striking down the judicial retention elections process that had been put in place and for the first time for those who are already sitting on the Supreme Court. They would have an opportunity to be voted upon up or down before having to face an opponent in a subsequent election. Um they are also working with congressional redistricting and the federal side, and then again with legislative seat redistricting. But these three judge panels are propping up more and more. Josh Lawson, is that an inanimate object, or uh... we certainly think so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely this week they were. Anyway, uh, Josh Lawson, thanks for uh, being with us. His nominee is a three judge panel, and um, this is a tough one between. I think Lynn Bonner's nomination of Tom Hoffler, the guy who the mysterious uh, Republican uh, drafter of uh, redistricting maps and then the three judge panel. I'm going to go with three judge panel because a Josh is here as our special guest and he deserves it. And and B, because it touched on two different, you know, two different big news items from the week, both the uh, the, the three judge panels, original ruling, on, uh, you know, declaring uh, districts one and 12 unconstitutional and then the uh, striking down uh, General Assembly's uh, bill from last year, allowing for retention elections for uh, North Carolina Supreme Court 
uh, justices. So, Josh, good job. You're one for one. And uh, that's it for this week's Domecast. We'll uh, talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.